Hello, and welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's official video game podcast, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Back yeah. home in New York with a working microphone, I am Ben Lindbergh, a staff writer for TheRinger.com. And on the other line in L.A., he hasn't slept since our last podcast, it's Jason, the Night King, Concepcion. <laughs> I got like three, three solid hours in there. Yeah, uh, solid three. Really love our show this week. Who needs week? more than that? No, yeah, I don't think too. that. Not too many. Uh, not too many people. <laughs> We've got, uh, we're going to be talking to Kyle Beef, Batista, Beef. about esports uh, later on in the episode. But first, we'll be talking to Maggie McDonald and America Young. They are stunt actors as well as vocal actors for video games and movies. You know Maggie as Shandi from Saints Row, and they've worked in Agents of Mayhem, Halo 5, the various Saints Row games, Uncharted, lots and lots and lots and lots of games that you've seen as well as movies you've seen like Civil War, Insurgent, Furious The Hunger 7. Games, Furious 7. The uh, list goes on and on. Can't wait to talk to them. Now, we're talking with Maggie McDonald and America Young. They are voice and stunt actors for video games and movies. Um, you've seen them in their work in various video games, such as the recent release Agents of Mayhem, Halo 5, Sunset Overdrive, and on and on and on. Thanks for joining us, guys. You're so welcome. Nice to be here. How does one get into the stunt slash voice work game? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I think it, that's a great question. Yeah. There's so many different ways. Yeah. Like everyone has their own personalized story. I think that some don't get into the voice side. Americans can speak more to that mm -hmm. than I can. But um, some people just start off as an actor or a stunt person, and then that blends into more of the motion capture work, I'd say. And then you kind of get hooked on it because it's yeah. so amazing and so fun. And um, that's what I'd say about that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's so many different people get into stunts through um, having started in gymnastics or mm. football or um, parkour. And, and that's how they find their way into stunts um, or through acting and then falling in love with that instead right. of acting. And then um, voiceover is kind of a similar thing where you'll get hired. Look, for me, my, I didn't even think of it. Um, as a as a job until um, I was talking to somebody who that's what they did for a living and it was like this epiphany of like oh of course they're acting I mean I don't even know I was you know a child so I, I'll give myself a break <laughs> but but since then I've realized that it's such an incredible job and the cool thing which is exactly what you just said is motion capture tends to combine that yeah. mm -hmm. in a way that you don't usually do that you know um, so that's been that's that's the coolest advantage. And Maggie, it looks like just from browsing your credits, was Saints Row 2 the first thing you did? Was that your first role? My first motion capture actually was for a video game that never made it. It's called, Aww, I know, <laughs> whip, whip. But um, yeah, it was uh, something called Asha by Chaos Studios, I believe. Yes. And um, yeah, and she was like this sword wielding princess. And I was like, well, this is going to be a hit. <laughs> 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 it was before its time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm sure it had nothing to do with your emotions. Oh, you're the best. Yeah, like I was that. like, surely this will, you know, start my career. And then that didn't make it. And then, yeah, Saints Row 2. And that's how I met America, right? Uh -huh. Or Saints Row 3. 3 is how Three. I met you, yeah. yeah. And, um, okay. and, yeah, that's what started. So how did you get that gig? Is there just an audition? Did you know someone? I did know somebody. I knew the player from Saints Row 
uh, one and two, and mm. they needed a girl to to mimic his movements to be the mm. female player. And so he called up a bunch of his buddies and basically said, make a reel really quick. And I had like, you know, that whole night and stayed up. And at that time, there wasn't it wasn't easy to just rip things off of YouTube or anything. It was, you know, begging friends to send you know, okay. video cassettes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and like trying to hook it up to the TV and the computer and the whole thing. And yeah, so I sent them my stuff and they lived in they were in Chicago. So um, I got the job that way. And then I just showed up and they were great. And. Uh, his name's Henry Layton, and he kind of gave me a tutorial the night before of, at the time, remember, they, you would go um, in the volume, and the voice would already have been recorded, mm -hmm. so you had to mimic your movements according to the voice. Whoa. And in the volume is this, the studio that you're in with all the cameras. There's usually mm -hmm. 35 to 100 cameras filming at any moment, and that's called the volume, so that's yeah. when you record it. And you don't have mm -hmm. a lot of creative uh, leeway. They, they already kind of know how the person, how many... Um, beats it would take for the character to go from like, I don't know, the, the desk to the sofa or something like this. And so um, he just taught me really quick how to how to do that and time it with the voice. And then we were off and going. And yeah. And so both of you have had a ton of stunt roles and a ton of voice roles. Is that standard? I mean, obviously, there are a lot of exclusively voice actors who don't do stunts. And I assume there are stunt actors who don't do voices. But is there a, a lot of crossover? I don't think there's that much crossover. More and more there are, you know, um, more and more there's um, voiceover actors who have uh, training who come in and do a lot of their own motion capture. And then maybe they'll bring someone in to do the, the more hardcore stunts. Um, and more and more there's stunt people who are crossing over into voiceover. And, and I think you're finding that more and more specifically in motion capture. You don't necessarily find people who are do stunts for film and television and then do voices for video games or TV. That's usually pretty rare. Um, motion capture and video games is the world that's kind of merging the two. Mm. America, what was your first uh, video game role? Um, it was Spider-Man. Hey, good one. I don't remember which number game it was, but it was the one with Venom. I remember that. Mm, so it's a black and white. I think it was yep. red and black? Red and black. Red and black. Yes. Yes. And that was really cool. I had met the guy who was casting that on a movie that I was doing stunts on, and he asked me to come in and... I had never, I had no idea what I was doing, um, but I had, you know, grown up in theater. So mm -hmm. um, motion capture very, is very similar to theater is you're just acting with your whole body. And that's, that's the thing that's interesting is so when you're on tel in television and film, you're usually, it's mainly your face and your eyes. Like right. that's where most of your emoting comes from. And then with voice, it's just your voice, although you move your body to give your voice the realistic quality. And motion capture is using your whole body. Yeah. Um, and so uh, theater is basically, I, I think, is the best training. Mm, theater and stunts is the best training you can come from mm -hmm. for, for doing motion capture. And I've been hired a few times to, to work with people who are coming from television to do motion capture. And they usually find it terrifying at first because they're used to not moving, but mm. also so liberating because I think your performance is just going to be better when it's in your full body, you know? Mm. Yeah, I was watching um, people do motion capture for one of the NBA 2K games, and it's... Um, it's interesting because the director can just walk around, mm -hmm. you know, walk around the actors as they do stuff uh, because everything is just picked up by the suit and by the... Yeah, the as long location. as he's not wearing a, a sensor suit. Right. Yeah. As those suits, I mean, they've evolved quite a bit in the, in the years, certainly since you guys have been doing this, but... Um, are those cumbersome? How long did it take to get used to, to working in those? pretty comfortable. 
And yeah. it's when you're doing stunts in them. Yeah. Yeah. That it gets tough. When you have to start to fall and hit the deck, yeah. the sensors, yeah. I mean, they are sort of these tiny balls. I mean, they're, <laughs> <laughs> insert your jokes. <laughs> um, they're kind of spongy. They're you spongy. Know? Like um, <laughs> you know. tiny, tiny spongy balls. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, yeah, you wake you have like little you, round bruises all over oh, your body yeah. like afterwards. But the, the suits themselves are really comfortable, yeah. actually. I agree. Yeah, it's, they're um, they're spandexy mm-hmm. and um, flexible, and they have to be skin tight. So at first, when you put them on, you're mm. like, "Oh God, shouldn't have had the bagel or whatever <laughs> for breakfast." Um, and then once you kind of stretch it out and get going, um, you forget. I had I remember I had to shoot for the commercial for Years of War, and oh, wow. we were there from eight a.m. until four a.m. Wow! In the suits, and no, normally it's a pretty strict like nine to five day, you know, or nine to eight day when you're in or nine to six day mm-hmm. when you're in motion mm-hmm. capture they're pretty set but we were there till like four in the morning and mm-hmm. i i was getting claustrophobic at that oh, yeah. point yeah but other than that they're they're actually pretty comfortable are, are there any motions that uh, one of the things when i was watching them do mocap for 2k was mm-hmm. because they you know they have those the helmets with mm-hmm. a little ball on yeah. top so the shooting motion a lot of the times mm-hmm. was just weird because you, they had to lift the ball like unnaturally mm-hmm. high or that is there anything that you just had to kind of relearn how to do in the suit that just was mm-hmm. not quite natural that's a good question sometimes like the game that i'm working on right now they'll say you know if you're doing some this is the secret game the secret game yeah. um it's on your imdb I, page oh it's wait out there. oh i can say that I can okay say go, go okay ahead. so yeah. it's La- the last of us two i just can't talk about dun, dun, dun. Oh, yeah. heard of it. Yes. <laughs> i'm so excited um oh shit no, I can say that. Oh, we can and cut no, it. Out. We can cut it out. No, Anything no, it's public knowledge. No, it is. It's it's um yeah, it's totally normal. Um, so <laughs> I will say that if you do any sort of like um neck break or things like mm. that, where you're simulating, you know, cracking a neck, or it's thing, okay. That's in one. Too, I was just so gonna say that. Yeah, that's yeah, in yeah, one. Yeah, that's so pretty. You're um, sometimes like it won't read on the monitor. They'll say like, mm. can you snap it more or more right. vicious or and you're just thinking, no, <laughs> you know, like you can't because. Right. And then, you know, <laughs> it's just terrible. So you have to sort of make more range for mm. whatever's happening. So you have to kind of um, make something on the day or in the moment actually unrealistic, and you know, mm-hmm. that you, wouldn't really happen in real life. But it looks better yeah. uh, when it's animated and things like that. If they go, it's not working or you got to kind of get creative. I, dialogue scenes are actually harder when mm. you have the head cam on oh, wow. because like if you're talking and the camera's here right on the one that points at your face you know, the one that yeah. points at your face because there's like that bar that comes from your helmet and the camera right. points at your face and then the bar that points at their face mm-hmm. and then you're trying to like have an intimate conversation and, right. and more and more as video games are coming more and more like movies and there's these amazing dramatic performances that are intimate and real and the actors mm. want to you know right. get in there like so a kissing scene is sure. kind of tricky yeah like sword fighting <laughs> right. with your camera and um so that's something yeah. you've, you have to kind of relearn. So awesome. so the night braces yeah or even like yeah. i remember i don't think i can say this one but like you're holding someone who just died oh. and you're sobbing over them right this and, is wonderful and touching right yeah mm. but you can't like you can't do anything really that intimate like right. like wearing like, your right. face in there like you can't do because you have you the have to cam. hold them at a remove yeah yeah and and um so that's that and, and it's also it does make your head a little bit top heavy. So, um, you know, just walking normal. I mean, you do have to remember how to walk normal sometimes. <laughs> 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 yeah. So you've both question, been, though. 
doing this for uh, about 10 years, and I, I imagine that the technology has advanced quite a bit in that time. So I, I saw Uncharted 4 motion capture, and I, I went on the set, and I saw Nolan North doing little fake falls, nothing too strenuous. But I know, America, you did Uncharted 3, and when two and I was... Three. Oh, two and three. Okay. So yeah. So when I was looking at four, they were talking about just how much easier everything was and how much more realistic and less cumbersome. So can you describe how things have advanced even in your time doing this? Yeah. I mean, I will, I'll go back even further. Like Richard Dorton, who is known as mocap man, um, who's incredible. He's in over a hundred games. He talks about when he started, they used to like tape the sensors onto his bare skin. Oh, wow. And he would be in like speed, like not speedos, but he'd be in like spandex shorts <laughs> yes. and like a tight top. And then they would like tape the sensors on. So just, just the progression. No, was that, that was necessary. They were just fucking with him. They're probably just fucking with him. <laughs> no, and Richard. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Richard gives as good as he gets. Okay. So um, they were probably just, they were probably just fucking with him. But, um, you know, the, uh, size of the balls have changed. Um, <laughs> so good. The the amount of cameras you need changed. You know, I remember yeah. the first yeah. time I did it, and there was like a thousand. There's, it felt like a thousand cameras. And recently, some of the most gorgeous work um, animation wise that I've been part of, um, they only had a few cameras. Um, like the the blur commercials for um, Old Republic. I got to be the female Jedi in that. And she, well, part of it, there was somebody who did all the cool flippy stuff. <laughs> Kyle, our producer, is like fist pumping in the, in the <laughs> behind the glass of the studio. Like, <laughs> well, and they're stunning, right? Those, com- I mean, the yeah, animation on that great. is breathtaking. Yeah. And that was done with very few cameras in a in a warehouse. I mean, they have a more of an mm-hmm. elaborate setup, I think, at this point. But the fact that they could do that, and that that's a testament to their animation, yeah. obviously. Um, and the suits have gotten more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, they have different size suits now. They, you know, they're not trying to like <laughs> Velcro you in, like right. you know. Right. Um, those. Do they those... have? I mean, are there like male and female suits? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We used to have to put these sort of booties over oh, our yeah. shoes, oh, wow. which became a bit um, cumbersome and dangerous when mm-hmm. we'd have yeah. to run and be fighting because you're slipping on yeah. the floor. So now they go ahead and they censor up shoes that are already at the studios, which is great. Yeah. So we don't have to use our own shoes. Oh, and then the the markers they used to have to put. Oh, yeah. put markers first they put markers on your face like mm-hmm. the actual little silver ones and then that evolved to just dots mm-hmm. and now that's evolved to nothing you don't need anything mm-hmm. on your face when you're wearing the uh the head games yeah and then i was thinking like for angels of mayhem they've changed um a few like technology things i mean i apologize i don't know all the, the names of like the technology yeah, and things but um they're starting where you can you have to do these sequences where you're running in like circles oh, and yeah. and zigzags and like S patterns. And then they're really paying um, particular attention to like what foot you step on and oh. how you shift your weight. Just so you, in the game you have full movement in any direction at any time. So that's more of a flawless mm-hmm. transition. So it doesn't feel like or switching right. from different cycles. It feels like an actual yeah. movement of right. a person. Which I find that's been the hardest challenge for me. Like they'll ask you to do a sprint set. Yeah. So you'll have to sprint on all these diagonals. And sometimes the body, the human body doesn't want to pivot, say, on the left foot yeah. when you're turning right. Um, or wait a minute, the left foot, if you're turning left, so you have to make this huge rotation with your right foot around the front. But if you're sprinting, your momentum's going forward or whatever. And yeah. you're doing immediate. So that's been tough because yeah. they'll be like, oh, can you know, let's go again. And you're just thinking, oh, my God, the human body doesn't want to do this. <laughs> um, you know, you just do the best you can. Yeah. Right? 
Um, And then another thing which has been great is that, you know, it used to be that um, they didn't have as much control or they've learned how much control they have in terms of after the capture Mm -hmm. for the animation. And so it used to have to be just perfect. And they have you do a thousand takes of leaping off and your head has to be just perfect and your hand has to be just perfect. And you're, you know, you're completely getting worn out. And now you'll do it, you know, five or ten times Mm -hmm. and they'll be like, great, I can adjust the rest of it. Let's keep going. And so they're able to get a lot more capture of a lot more movements and work a lot faster. So it's also gotten a lot more efficient the more Mm. um, everyone has learned, you know, the capabilities. Mm -hmm. This is just kind of a general stunt work question, not necessarily a video game question, but with, you know, the recent uh, death of the stunt woman, Joy Harris on Deadpool Deadpool 2. It just seems to me like this, your jobs um, are so... You know, like trust is so important in your jobs, like having somebody there being like, OK, but that's enough. Like she's tired. Right. You know, um, how, like just, could you speak to that? Like, what is that like on set when you're just, you know, you've done a thousand takes and you're just blasted and you're like, listen, I need to like sit down for a second or an hour or can we break? I'll say that I think that that just really shows for the folks that we've worked with mm-hmm. that have really um, have been stand up, mm-hmm. like right. exceptional, like you know, that they get it, they understand how many takes or if we've got it. And then if they ask for another take, then they say, nope, you already have it. Yeah. You know, we covered it. Or if they say, um, this is how many we're going to have tonight or just people that are on your team and we're all, it's like a collaborative yeah. process. I think you you tend to gravitate toward working with those in, individuals, yeah. like like in any business, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. And the games you and I worked on together, mm-hmm. the team has been incredible and has taken such great care of us and has been so aware of like past injuries right. or recent injuries mm-hmm. or exhaustion and just, or I have worked with people who haven't. Mm-hmm. who have had us do, you know, like I, I had one game where I had to die. I, I think I counted, like I got had to get knocked to the ground and hit the ground. Something like it was 472 <laughs> times. Oh, I counted. Holy because, shit. Because oh. I had to get hit four times each direction. Each each time I was holding a different weapon and each time they hit me four times in each direction, it had to be with different variants of hitting the ground. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that when you're on a film or television set, you have a stunt coordinator. Of course. And the stunt coordinator is usually the one who's got your back. And right. it's just like, yeah, you, you can't get right, another take. Right, or yeah. if you get another take, it's going to cost you this right. special money yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, as a rule in in, in anim, uh, video games, that hasn't really come into play yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a stunt coordinator on Halo 5, Tom Williams, who was amazing. And he did that. He would he There was a couple of days where he would come up to us and pull us aside and be like, are you sure you can do this? Because you're looking nice. really tired. And he was phenomenal. But most video games, they don't, they don't quite have that yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one thing you just learn to be is your own advocate. Right. Yeah. Uh, just say, I, or I have to or stop. stand up for someone else and say, you, you, you know, yep. step, pull them aside and make sure you're okay or, or say, you know, I think. We I mean, is that hard in the moment to just be like. It was. It has. It, it absolutely because you, you don't want to get fired. You don't want to get yeah, fired. You, you don't want to seem weak. Like right. you're there to kind of to to. Or you love them and you don't want to yeah, disappoint. Right. You don't want to let them down. That's and also, like these are, you know, video games are super complex to produce. Mm-hmm. They're on a timeline yeah. where it's like every little thing adds five minutes, twenty minutes, thirty minutes to the production process online. You multiply that out by every mm-hmm. little module of the game. So you must. I mean, it just must. The pressure must be enormous at times it, to like just keep going. Yeah, and um, I think you know the ego plays a part too. Like I'll speak right. to that for myself. Huge. Like you'll be there and you'll be like, "Can you do it?" And you're just like, "Yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, I can." You know. And then if you for do sure. it, you have to then kind of realize, "Wait a minute, you know what? This isn't safe." Right. Or, or if I get hurt, then they lose a day. Then yeah. you got to kind of find that in the moment. I will say, there's this woman that works for Naughty Dog. Her name is uh, Becky Dodd. She's 
unreal. I she, she like totally loves her actors, and she'll just go. We need to break. Remember, they're humans. They're not right. video game characters. Yeah, she's oh, that's perfect. The best. So then you don't have to say anything because yeah. Becky's like got your back. Shout out to Becky. And um, <laughs> so I, I I love that, and I find that motion capture world is a little bit better when you're on these huge movies. Yeah. Sometimes I find it a lot harder really? to. Because you know you're you're indispensable in a way. I hate to right. say that, because um, there's someone that might step up. That's where I feel there's some danger. Some younger folks might step in and, and um, do the dangerous job right. just to get the experience or something like that. Um, yeah. Well, I wish you both long health and life. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. So Thanks. you've both been in big budget movies, blockbusters, you know, summer movie types of America. You've done Transformers and John Carter and Maggie. You've done Hunger Games and yeah. Civil War. The list goes on and on. You've also done big budget games. How do those productions compare just in terms of the type of stunts that you're asked to do and I guess the process of actually filming them? Well, I I love working on games. Like that's definitely where my passion's at. Mostly because I get to work with people like America and um, just folks that oh. become your fan. I know she's yeah. like my sis. Oh, we have so much fun. And you should hear our standup routine. We have a pretty good standup routine. Pretty good. Um, <laughs> lots of ball talk. Um, anyway, so. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's more fun because it's intimate. You know, there's yeah. only a few people there and you're working on this huge game and, right. and everyone's working together to make it great. And sometimes when you work on these huge movies, obviously late, um, long hours, you're, you know, and um, you might not get to work with um, some of your best buds and stuff like that. So um, they both have their advantages and things. I mean, yeah, like I was, it was a privilege to work on Hunger Games. There were some really cool action sequences um, that you get to be a part of that are fun. They're on film. And, you, you know, you could tell your kids someday, like, hey, you know, mom was in that, which yeah. I think is pretty rad. Yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think? I, I agree. I, you know, it's interesting because it doesn't, it, no matter how big the game, the, it's always intimate and it's always just a s small core group of people. Um, they're usually really cool people, too. I don't, there seems to be little to no ego. Yeah. Um, when you're working in video games from anyone, from yeah. animators, from um, producers, from directors, from, I mean, it just, it, we were, well, it's just a small state. I mean, they're, they're pretty big stages, I guess, but um, it's just an intimate situation and you're just having so much fun. And I think a lot of that has to do, I think, because we know what we're part of and that comes from the people who are fans of what we're making. Mm. I mean, because video game fans are a whole nother yeah. level. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, and but that's the cool thing about it. It's not just like, oh, I really liked your movie. It's like they're going to, you know, they're going to spend eight to 12 hours with you. Right playing your game right. that you're working on. And and for that reason, we're all really excited to make it as good as possible. And um, there, and video game uh, fans also tend to be a lot more educated and a lot more, not educated like school-wise, maybe right. school-wise, but I mean in terms of like what goes into it. They're uh, so much more aware. Right, the process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, of how to make it. And so they appreciate it so much more. And so um, when they troll you or when they compliment <laughs> you, <laughs> it's a lot more on point. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I do love working in the video game space for that reason. Um, 
and 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 as video games become more and more like movies and more and more cinematic, mm-hmm. the stunts that we're capable of doing and the sense that sequences that we're doing are are just as amazing yeah. as mm-hmm. film and television, if not more, because you almost have less restrict- restrictions on you. Yeah. Um, because of what you can hide. Is it more you know? forgiving? Um, forgiving in that way, like if you if you don't do something perfectly right, they can just manipulate the character uh, model, maybe. Yeah. That's such a great point. Yeah. Because if you're involved in, if you think about big, like a huge action sequence, you know, where there'll be um, wires and fire and pyro and um, special effects and stuff, you don't want to do that sequence too many times because it right, costs money, right? Right. right? Well, so all that stuff doesn't matter when we're in the suit. <laughs> right. It's just us, you know? Yeah. There's like, like you just said, the direct, that was right. funny I wanted to say before. People can be in the volume if they're yeah. not in the yeah. suit. Yeah. So sometimes we won't have the weapon on us. We'll do something and then they'll be right behind you, slap the weapon on your back. You pull it out like mm-hmm. you sheathed oh, wow. it, you know, and then all of a sudden you the have video this weapon. game pocket. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so that's cool. And then if it doesn't work, you need to just go again. And like yeah. you said earlier, you might have to do 400 takes, but. But they can also manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to. There's in some ways it's a lot less dangerous because you don't have to worry about pyro. You yeah, don't you have to right. worry about mm-hmm. things like that. Um, uh so there's definitely a trade-off in in um, in film and television. It might take specifically film. It it might take what a week to two weeks to shoot one really cool fight sequence. Yeah. Um, and then in, in video games, you'll do four or five a day. Wow. You know, so like the mm-hmm. turn the turnaround is a lot faster, so you don't ever get bored. But then the money's a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna uh, get into that. Yeah, no. yeah. Um, the money's a lot less because you just spent, you have two weeks on a movie with overtime and right. stunt adjustments and, yeah. and residuals. And um, with a video game, you don't get bored because you're constantly doing new fights yeah. and you can really break the boundaries of what is physically possible. Um, but uh, you because you can be so much more efficient. You don't have to worry about camera setups. You don't have right. to worry about wardrobe. You don't have to worry about pyro and resets. So in that way, it's a lot more exciting and keeps it a lot more interesting. Do either of you have any um, particularly favorite uh, work that you've done in video games, whether it be stunt work, voice work, whatever, scenes? Um, all of Saints Row, I just laughed the entire time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a funny game. I mean, <laughs> that is, like, yeah. all of them, because yeah. Steve Jaros has the most ridiculous sense of humor yeah. and the idea, like, you have aliens taking over the world, and yeah. it's narrated by Jane Austen. I mean, he's just <laughs> such a, <laughs> so and so, like, my, but my favorite thing that I think we did in all of the Saints Rows was yeah. the romance options. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was that, that was in, was that four? That was four, right? Yeah. Um, the ro- shooting the romance options um, for for Saints Row that that I think might have been one of my favorite <laughs> scenes funny. ever. Um, I'm a huge fan of Halo, so getting to yeah. um, do anything in this as a Spartan was like yeah, it's yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah, I know Saints Row. I, I I don't think I've laughed so hard ever. Oh, oh my gosh, so fun and so. Um, so silly. Like today, yeah. you guys are going to just, um, you're going to be club girls, some lap dances. And we're like, what? Our first day working together. <laughs> and you know, our first day we were working first, together. First day. We, oh, did, hi. we did pole dancing yeah, yeah. and lap dances. Yeah. I was like, hi, nice to meet you. Here's Crazy. our pole. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It was so silly. And you know, God bless them. They're trying to like be straight faced and professional and respectful. And, and we're really so respectful. respectful. Like, oh, is this okay? And we're right. just like, this is hilarious. Because right. you're in a suit, full, right. like totally covered up. Covered in, you, in the squishy You balls. know, and you're just trying so so hard to look cool. Right. Well, <laughs> and, it's like, and it's like not working. And, and to go back to a question where you said like pole dancing in the suit was super hard. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. you, you couldn't, yeah. You yeah. need skin. I mean, yeah. like to, 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 to 
contraction yeah. of the pole. Mm. And yeah. so to be able to do half the tricks that you could normally do easily yeah. in a completely velour Velcro <laughs> suit was actually super hard. Like you yeah. had what your fingertips. That's, yeah. that's all we had that was skin that was showing. And so we're holding on I by know. our fingertips, trying not to fall off and look ridiculous because we're supposed to be sexy. Yeah. Oh God, it was so funny. But what do they tell you is, I guess it's like if you're dancing on a pole, it's not a mystery. But like, do they, are they like, okay, now here's the setup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you find out on the day when you show up. Yeah. Right. Um, sometimes, like Steve, if there was a lot of dialogue, we would get priv- privy to that mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. But most of the time, 90% of the time, you show up and they're like, this is what we're doing today. And it's always, like, for Saints Row, it's always like Christmas. It you was always show up. fun. Like, it's so you're fun. opening your package. Like, oh, God, what am I doing today? Perfect <laughs> dildo back. Yes! <laughs> That's what I've always wanted. Thanks, Mom and Dad. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, so funny. There was a game that I worked on. Um, it actually never came out. Also, it was a Pirates yeah. of the Caribbean game. <sighs> and all the all the actors were also the voiceover people were also the stunt people. And they oh, wow. would actually send us the scripts ahead of time. Mm. And um, uh, it was it was amazing. Like, it was because we would sit around and we would do table reads mm. beforehand. And so then the performances we were able to do on set, you know, because you can prepare stuff, right. um, I felt was really rich and really fun. And that was something we worked on for months. And mm. I can't, I'm still so upset that they didn't come out. Do you we, know why? We, did, we finished the entire shoot. Oh. I don't know why they scrapped it, actually. And but it was going to be good. Maggie, you played Shandi in Saints Row. You're Daisy in Agents of Mayhem. I assume it was the same sort of atmosphere on set in Agents of Mayhem as, as Saints Row. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Again, shout out to Josh. Um, this has been the most fun. First of all, that was a privilege to play Shandi. And then um, Daisy. So we show up and he's like, OK, I want to try put her on roller skates and it was like oh, this is unbelievable and so you should have seen how we just macgyvered it you know it wasn't any high technology it was um you know those sliders um a lot of velcro and duct tape a lot. I mean, that's what most of our props yeah. are made of and yeah they're like totally. pretend this is a gun yeah okay yeah exactly um like uh, those sliders that you have at the gym that some people put their feet on and then they slide in and out for like ab work or whatever yeah Yeah. so we slapped something like that lower technology than that on our on my feet duct taped and then we just like went sliding around the and and josh was just like let me see if i can make this work and i just remember them going yeah it works because we just didn't know if it would fit in the game Mm -hmm. and then once that came then it was just like balls to the wall it was so much fun the gun and everything that i got to use and um, she was a lot of fun. I was going to ask you both what the most physically challenging video game stunts you'd had to do were, but it sounds like it would be tough to top the velour suit pole dancing. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was actually pretty strenuous. <laughs> 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 Hilarious. It was so funny. There was one time on Saints Row that you were Shandy, early Shandy, and I was... Oh, yeah, that was fun. That was fun. And wasn't I crawling out of your wow. Yeah, you had to like crawl out of me. <laughs> And then we were like, and I was mad that oh, you were there. Out of my navel? Yeah. I don't remember. <laughs> I loved what that day. What did the other one? And we were fighting at each other. Yeah, it was great. That was really after, fun. After climbing out of her navel, you guys fought? Yeah. Yeah, I was like pissed that she showed up because the newer Shandi. Was like evolved. Well, evolved. You yeah, know. She, she's yeah. grown up a little and yeah. younger Shandi was just the worst. Crack sheep was an addict yeah. and things, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> can you good day. talk about your training? Because before you came in, we were watching mm, yeah. your your stunt reels, and they were very violent impressive. and very convincing. Really impressive. So, yeah. yes. can you list the ways in which you could kill us? <laughs> <laughs> so awesome! That's a good question. Go for I it. I welcome death right now. Oh my god! <laughs> so funny. Go ahead. Just choke. What does um, dead mean if I die? Yeah. I came in on it 
kind of backwards, actually. I was never athletic. I read a lot of books growing up. <laughs> um, my, my dad was a trauma surgeon. I'm very paranoid. But when I first moved out here, um, I started taking martial arts for self-defense. And it was kind of the first thing that had ever resonated with me as a physical wow. activity. And um, I loved it. And I, I became pretty obsessed with it. And I was in there, you know, four to five hours a day for three or four, for three or four years, getting my black belt, you know, teaching and um, and then I had a friend who was a stunt coordinator who said, you know, that I should audition for this uh, Tomb Raider stunt show. And I said, no, absolutely not. I don't know how to do any of that. And he ended up talking me into auditioning and I got it. Um, and uh, because and this is what he said. And I'm going to take it as a compliment. Um, <laughs> he said, because because I wasn't graceful. <laughs> well, thanks. He says, in this particular case, a lot of stunt girls come from gymnastics and uh, dance and uh, are stunning when they right. fight, but they're they're gorgeous when they fight. And it's I not am realistic. not. Right. Yeah. And so so it, it becomes more realistic because I am not graceful. <laughs> um, and so uh, and so he he was really excited about having someone who's a little bit more brutal looking when they fought. And mm-hmm. then um, when I got the the stunt job. It was a touring, touring stunt, stunt show for Tomb Raider. Um, they taught me a ton of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And so it was incredible to get paid to learn that stuff. So I learned on that job, high falls, slide for life, firearms, mm. um, just a whole bunch of different, um, a bunch of different things. Plus I got the coolest prosthetic boobs. <laughs> <laughs> because she had huge boobs. I couldn't I see my feet. That. There, I could, there, there's <laughs> the answer to your question again. I had, we, they taught me all the fights and yeah. then they strapped the boobs on no, and so none yeah, of the fights yeah. were applicable. Yeah. Because That's I, ridiculous. I couldn't punch or block or do anything <laughs> because they were so big. And so I had to relearn the fights and we had to re-choreograph some things because the boobs 100% got in the way. See, now... I, if if now if I knew that was happening, wouldn't you just scrap the boobs and be like, we have all of this it's choreo in this way? Right. Though you can't. I mean, I, love, like that's I just what, love that it was Tomb Raider yeah. also because this is like the criticism of yeah. Tomb Raider is totally like it's this unnatural woman's body <laughs> yeah. and it's like yeah, I couldn't do anything in the boobs, you guys. I, I couldn't do it. It was impossible. <laughs> <laughs> so, so awesome. Also, she uses Desert Eagles, which are like yeah. hand cannons. 50, so, 50 caliber so can guns. I had, to, I had to fight with those strapped to my legs yeah. Oh, yeah. and then shoot them. And that was another thing that altered some of the fight choreography because they're so big and then yeah. you're throwing these kicks. And oh, so that was interesting. So so from there on out, I just I just fell in love with it. And then that mm. became my main focus. Well, you mean? I started, well, I was a competitive soccer player. Mm-hmm. What position? Um, center mid. And then skill position. Proud yeah. of you. Oh, thank you for knowing that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah. And so when it was time to pick colleges, I decided oh, I'll just go to New York to be an actor. Um, <laughs> so the parents, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were very, um, you know, they, they held their breath and let me go. And then, yeah, I was an actor for stage. And, mm-hmm. and then um, I did a lot of theater, but I learned how to sword fight. Mm. Um, and that's kind of what sparked my interest. I was like, wow, this is acting and athletics at the same time. And then I did a lot of like traveling around, studying sword work with um, different sword masters. And then like fencing, German, Italian, all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. then, um, more for, and then, but the stage, like theatrical Mm -hmm. way, but we still have epes and things like that. But, um, a lot of like rapier, dagger, broadsword, cutlass, sword and shield, all that stuff. Mm Um, I mean, I anyone else think that's the sexiest thing ever? I think it's very hair list. I was, I was extremely, I was extremely you, excited. Yeah, right? Me too. Thank yeah. you. I love you. Um, so, yeah, yeah. And then when I got back to New York, um, I got a lucky break on Law & Order. Um, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Exactly. Oh, sorry. Yeah. 
messed that one up. Um, and I don't know why they thought, because of my sword training, that I'd be able to fight as a lacrosse player with a stick. But for some reason, that that was the lucky break, sure. you know? And I show up, and I just had to fight somebody with a stick. And, and how did it go? Did it work? Yeah, it was great. Yeah. And um, then I got the check from the... And I was like, oh, this is a thing. Like, right. This, this pe- is a sustainable this lifestyle. This is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. How do I not know this? Whereas some people grow up, and they're like, oh, I want to be a stunt right. person. Yeah. I didn't really know that that was a job. So that kind of took me off in a, in a little bit of a different direction, and... And yeah, I was really lucky. And and then on the way, I had great coordinators. Like if I got hired for fire or cars mm-hmm. or whatever, I'd say, listen, um, I've never done a fire stunt, but I'm willing to learn. And that took me a long way. It's really important, by the way, that whoever's interested in listening to this interested in stunts, you are always so honest about mm-hmm. your skill level. Right. Um, sometimes you will lose out of, out of a job, but it's it's so much safer. Yeah. Um, but also you will burn some crazy bridges if you ever say, oh, yeah, I could totally do fire. Yeah, and, then and then you show never up and you can't it. do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a story that's, that's famous that circulates about a girl who said she could swim. Ugh. She booked a job. Not only couldn't she swim, she was terrified of water. <laughs> and didn't, didn't she nearly drown? Like she ju- like she got knocked into the pool and then didn't come Shouldn't back be, up. Oh, no. <laughs> she lived, right? Yeah. Okay, great. She's, she's still alive. Um, and, and they had to dive in to get her because wow. she got knocked yeah. into the water and didn't come back up. Yeah. Like she just sunk like a rock. Oh, no. Like you have to, you have to be so honest, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. in, the, in the stunt industry, it's about relationships. And it's about the people you work with and them knowing that they can count on you to show up and do the job. Um, and if you can and you do and you're honest, yeah. then um, you'll continue to work. But I've had so many people who have um, asked me to do stuff and I'm just honest with them, right. you know, mm-hmm. and it, it just it always pays off. I, I was, so it's, it's awesome that you did that. Yeah. yeah. When I was watching your reel, Maggie, mm-hmm. uh, I saw you on fire. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I mean, we were talking about safety and trust before. That, I mean, mm-hmm. that seems like trust is just front and center when someone's going to set you on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I have a funny story about that. Sure. Actually. Let's hear it. Um, I'd love to hear it. Okay. Well, there's two parts of the story. The first thing is you have to, when you're doing fire, you put on this gel that you cover all your skin and everything just so, um, you know, your hair doesn't burn and things like that, but it's freezing. So if you don't light yourself on fire, um, there's a greater chance that you'll like suffer from hypothermia. So you're kind of like, let's get this going, right. you know? <laughs> so my mom's side, it was for Jimmy Fallon, right? He was promoting his yes. um, talk show. And, um, with I'm, Rachel Ray, I with believe. With Rachel Ray. Yeah, I was doubling Rachel Ray. And then, <laughs> which is hilarious. That is hilarious. Um, like, what? Doesn't make sense. And then, um, so I'm like on set ready for him to go. And, you know, he, I, I get it. He was like testing out his jokes and things and making sure everything was funny. And I'm in the goo. And, <laughs> and, the, and the coordinator, I was in New York City, and he had left it overnight in like middle of February. Oh, my God. So it's freezing wow. cold. And when they put it on me, because they dip all your clothes in it, I was good <laughs> breathing. Oh I was like God. this the whole time. And they were like, well, you wanted to be in pictures, kid. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, no, I'm totally You're going to make it, kid. You're yeah. looking great. You're looking great, kid. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, but I can't. Yeah, I'm fine, kid. I'm fine, kid. Like, totally can't breathe. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I could get on set and Jimmy's like, oh, and then he just thought that I was nervous. Oh, yeah. like, like, so he takes time. Yeah. So yeah. he's like, he's down. like, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And I'm like, can't breathe. You know, like, it's so cold. <laughs> and then he starts, like, trying to practice all of his jokes or whatever. And I'm like, all of them are great. They're all really funny. You know, I was just like, you have to hurry up and, like, let's get this going. Yes, light me up. Come oh, on. It was so funny. So that's the part one, which I love that story. It's hilarious. And then the second one is that I had never done fire before. So mm. in my mind, this young 
you know, oh, my young 20s. I was like, well, I don't want to ruin any of my clothes because they're going to get on fire. Right. So I mean, that's listen, that's logical. So I'm like, I'll just wear like undergarments that you wear for like, I don't know, laundry day. You know what I'm saying? It's like boxers and a a sports bra. Right. Well, you're even you're hitting the head on the nail better than I was. So So I'm like, I have laundry. I have. So I have these. I'm not a big fan of pink. Right. Do I have anything on today? No. So I have these like okay my hair tie okay so I have this um, I hope my brother doesn't listen to this podcast so I have the these underwear on that are pink with like bows on them right (laughs) Um, and I'm like well if they get ruined you know they're just pink and same thing matching bra and so when they're like all right let's go kid. Like, kid. let's go, kid. Come on, now. Come on, kid. And there's like these four huge stunt guys, big, big, like massive, like legit old school, like, right. you know, and right. one of which um, is married to my cousin. Let's not wow. even talk about it. So they're all there and they're like, okay, let's go. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally ready. Like, I didn't know what they were saying, like, let's go for. And, and then they're like, let's go. And I'm like, okay, yeah, 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 let's go. I'm right, I'm right here. And they're like, T- okay, take your clothes off. I'm like, but i'm like um i'm like okay um okay right and then i'm like psyching myself up you know i'm thinking positive thoughts and like i can do this and trying to go through all my action what i need to do so i take everything off they put on the clothes that are freezing cold and and everything and then i just go out and do the thing and um but obviously i'm mortified that like i'm like oh boy but i didn't really have time or whatever and so then after the job was done you know the coordinator came up and he like couldn't even look me in the eye and he like slapped me on the back like next time put some bike shorts on (laughs) because i I think i think that i like embarrassed him you know what i mean i embarrassed him because he had his crew there and here's this newbie like oh yeah let's go you know if it makes you feel better when i did my first fire burn my coordinator specifically said wear bike shorts and a tank top underneath so i don't know if that happened in the timeline after you and if that story <laughs> circulated throughout the entire stunt community all I can say it was a public service and you're welcome thank you <laughs> thank you. <laughs> oh my god it was so embarrassing it was so embarrassing but you learn you pick yeah, you, you yeah. pick yeah. up things on the way yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh Maggie god. when I heard you were coming in I, I looked you up I said oh she kind of looks like Carrie Russell and then we were watching your stunt reel and oh. you did stunts for yeah. Carrie Russell on the yeah. Americans and I'm, I'm yeah. curious because Carrie Russell's character Elizabeth on that show she's a real badass she's killing people yep. left and right. And at least in this one episode, that was you. And presumably in other episodes, it's other stunt people. What is the relationship between the lead and the stunt person usually? Is it like they have the easy job? They just have to say the lines. We have to put ourselves at risk. Is it more of a, a friendly, like symbiotic kind of relationship? Or are you watching the show thinking, eh, that was me, that was me, that was me? Oh, that's <laughs> funny. I think all of everything you just said, all of the above. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like sometimes you have an actress, one of our um, most famous stunt women working today, her name is Heidi Moneymaker. And she doubles for Scarlett Johansson and all of the Avenger movies and things like that and everything she does. And they have a beautiful relationship. Um, and I know Scarlett gives her a lot of credit and Heidi is unbelievable and yeah. very talented. And so they always sort of work together, that sort of thing. Um, sometimes, like, for example, I didn't do all of the Americans. So they'll pull in people um, as needed. That, and for specific skills, too, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That film's uh, in Brooklyn? Yeah, or all over. Yeah, they yeah. filmed like where I used to live in Brooklyn. So it filmed like around yeah. the block from me a couple of times. Nice, I love Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. And so um, that particular episode, um, 
she, I mean, she, she was great on the day. Um, she, she was up for it. I mean, we, we taught her the choreo and stuff, but, but then, you know, you're right. You watch things back and you kind of know right. when the camera goes behind you, you're like, okay, that's me. Or you, you recognize your movements and yeah. things like that. I think the dream as a stunt performer is to link up with somebody that you, um, can double well for and right. that you get along with and they mm-hmm. trust and ask for your opinion. I mean, that is those relationships that, I mean, um, they're fewer, I feel, maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, especially for, I think, a TV show, they, they do swap them out quite a bit. I think mm-hmm. um, when you're doubling an actress in movies, there, there tends to be, because then they'll ask for you. You know, mm-hmm. if you, and, and, and it does, it, it depends. It, overall, the actor um, is the one who sets the tone for the relationship. Most stunt people will just let them take the lead. And if they're going to reach out and be um, uh, friendly and inclusive, then then that's great because they'll usually ask for you if they if you made them look good. Um, and but then you have the, you definitely have actors who for some reason um, take all the credit. And, <laughs> and it is it's our job to not get credit. I mean, right, it, to, it just, is, yeah. to just never say it's our job. Is that in the contract or is that just like an no? It, it's an unwritten, unspoken, thing. unspoken rule. Right. And and that's why there's so much controversy right now about the the stunt Oscar even. So mm. there's mm. people who think that 100% coordinators deserve the Oscar because coordinating now is just as much directing as anything else. They do a ton of work. But a lot of people and half the community are like, no, we are the unspoken. Right. You know, we we do what do we do to make the movie good. And right. But the point is that you don't know we're there and we you don't know we exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so like in my mind, the perfect, the perfect line is um, a shout out to everyone who helped me look great, you yeah. know, from, from the, from the, from the star, they don't necessarily need to specifically call people out if they want to amazing mm-hmm. if not, but then there's, there's the people who are like, Oh, I did everything. Right. My, my stunt person just stood by the Tom the, Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, no, he, he gives his, he does a lot, yeah. but he also gives his stunt double credit. Right. Yeah. Like he does. Oh no! <laughs> I don't know. 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 Wait, you got this. Cut I don't know. It, cut it. I, I feel like I feel like yeah. I feel like I've heard him give credit. Oh, he does good. a ton of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, because he also acknowledges that there's some stuff he doesn't want to do. Like he right. wants to do the cool stuff, right? But he doesn't want to get hit by a car. You know, <laughs> no, like, sure. like there's there there's some real shit things. Yeah. And and that's what that's what a lot of what the stunt doubles will do is the crap stuff that the actors don't want to do. Totally true. You I was know? gonna say like the unglamorous stuff, like the falling down the stairs, mm-hmm. yeah. getting hit by the car. Yeah. Great example. Yeah. Um, I don't know, falling falling in the mud or cold or water through glass. Or, through, or, through glass. Yeah. What's the worst? One. What's the worst stunt gig job? Um, car. Car's pretty up there in, yeah. in the sense that you only really want to get it in one. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it twice. People who freaking love cars. That's true. They're, I, mean, I, mean, I don't, but uh, yeah. I worry about those people. Yeah, I do a little bit. I do a little bit. They, <laughs> so but they, awesome. they do. They love they love car yeah. hits. Yeah. Um, it, for me, it's the ones that that um, you, you require no. Um, that's like I love fights, and I don't care mm-hmm. if I'm wrecking during a fight or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's like I've I've doubled somebody where I literally just had to lie on a snow covered street <laughs> for three hours straight, God. doubling them doing that <laughs> after they got shot. So they got shot, and then they just left me down there. And I'm actually, and, and, and that kind of stuff, it's like, so funny. I, I don't, I'll take, I'll, t- I'll totally take, I'll take the job. You have to you know double I mean? in. <laughs> 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 like, 
terrible. It's, 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 it's just like, oh, so my my skill set here is how not to shiver. Right. Oh yeah. You know, um, so you want to be in pictures, kid? Lay in the snow right there. Lay, lay in, the, in the snow. No, shiver because you're dead. <laughs> you're dead, kid. You're, you're dead. dead. You That's your me? motivation, kid. You're dead. You've been shot. You're laying in the snow. Um, but you do it because it's it's part of, like, because they, because genuinely, like, this is not just lip service. They need to have, they have yeah. three more weeks of shooting right. in which they need to not have frostbite all over their face. Yeah. And yeah. they need to be well rested and be able to perform that part of it. Yeah. You know, so, um, and, and I know plenty of some people who would rather be set on fire than talk. Yeah. So they're yeah, grateful. They, they're grateful. They have their actor who says the speaking right. out loud words for them while they get to go do the cool stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So for the most part, it's a, it's a really good relationship and most people get that, you know, most people appreciate it. Mine are always costume related. <laughs> yeah. Always. Oh, like, yeah. um, like, uh, what's a good one? Um, insurgent. I uh, know. Yeah. Yeah. Is that one? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Where we were all outside in like just head to toe, multi-layer costume, long skirts, head wraps and things. And I think it was a high for Atlanta for that week. It was like hundreds, you know, in the humidity where you, it's like pea soup, you know, you can't really breathe. But my concern was that there were all these children on the day Oh, and they were all not, you know, they were like so excited to be in a movie the first day and no one wanted to drink water. And, oh, and you know, they all wanted to be in the sun and like happy and excited. And we were, and I was just like, these kids are in a drop. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then one by one, they're all like dropping. And <laughs> um, so by the end of the week, there was half as many children. And not, I mean, they're fine. Everyone, no one died. Um, <laughs> but they all got heat stroke, you know? Oh, yeah. And so we had to come keep running. Which is amazing because you think on a film with that budget, they would have foreseen that. Or so somebody they, would have been looking out. What were the studio teachers? Uh, so they, all, everyone was like up on the hill far away. And so oh. all the stunt people, we, we kind of saw this happen. So we yeah. were like stashing water in the yeah. teepees yeah, and all yeah. these like hidden little holes and things. We were like, come here, kids. Come here, kids. Come here, kids. Oh, my God. <laughs> Drink this. <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. But yeah, the, like that costume was really hot. Like it was just not breathable and you're yeah. in the sun yeah. for, you know, 10 hours, that kind of thing. Or corset, fighting corsets. Oh, corsets are. You know, you want to, you, again, you don't want to complain on the day no, ever because they put so much work into these beautiful costumes. Um, but you're like, how am I supposed to barrel roll? I had, I remember I had one where I was stunt doubling a guy actually who had a, like full burns in his entire body. Mm. The, the character, it was a creature work. And so they had to glue me into this prosthetic that was like head to toe and it was little slits for eyes. And um, uh, they would rush to get me the minute I got on set. They're like, get her in the suit, get her in the suit. <laughs> and then they wouldn't use me for 12 hours. Oh, man. And I couldn't pee. I couldn't <gasps> eat. What? Oh, no. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. They I, couldn't like give you a diaper no, or something? I was, well, I was glued in. So then I'd be sitting in my own oh Ugh. buddy so so then sometimes at lunch they would take my head off so i could eat i don't know I just, but then I, I didn't wait, want I to eat i don't that's like in, it gets, how is that possible it was horrible i just wouldn't drink water i stopped drinking water i stopped i wouldn't eat lunch because i didn't want to have to so i would oh eat once i wrapped and then you know it was awful and then they would um and but then they wouldn't use me until like the very very end and i couldn't oh, i could barely read i could barely see oh my and God. my fingers were covered <laughs> so i couldn't even get on my phone <laughs> This is, this is the worst day ever. It was awful. It was a week. <laughs> and, and, we're, and we're shooting nights. And so, like, I would sit there on the couch, and everybody else was having fun. We're shooting in, like, an abandoned. Like, I hate you. <laughs> we're 
shooting in an abandoned convent, so everybody's off shooting like these cool like fight sequences right. and the like the haunted. I'm pretty sure it was haunted. And I'm sitting sitting in the green room on a couch, trying not to lose my freaking mind <laughs> <laughs> for a week straight. And you're just sitting there because you can't do anything oh. else. That, I think that was probably the most miserable. It's not, it's not pain related. You know what I mean? It's it's like it's that torture. Kind of torture. Yeah. It's costume related. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Um. And back to video games, like... <laughs> oh, sorry. No, sorry. that's all right. No, listen. Um, automation of just industries. And that's the cool thing about video games. You don't have to worry about yeah. that. Mm. It's always air conditioned. <laughs> automation of just various industries is like a big topic for the economy writ large. I mean, how much do you guys worry that at some point in the future, they're just going to be like, well, we, we can just do it all now. We don't even need the mocap person. Well, I know that they bank our movements. Right. You know, um, and and uh, I've worked on... Do you... Now, do you get like points for that if they no no and so that's and that's, that's kind of fucked up right well yeah, it, yeah but it's 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 the wild west so we're still trying to figure it right. out and I have never felt like anyone was trying to take advantage of us sure. and, mm -hmm. and they're not there but I, there's definitely so I've worked on a few games multiple versions of that game because yeah. I, I reprise the character and there's one game where I worked on it for like three weeks maybe four weeks total and then this the second game of it they only had me come in for a couple days because mm. they're like we still have all your movements from the last one <laughs> so. Which is really smart of them as producers. Sure. You know, I, I, I totally get that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if this were film or television, I'd have to get paid for that reuse. Yes. You know, I'd like you to get paid. Yeah, I would too. <sighs> I would totally get it. But so, but I got yeah. where they were coming from. And since they're new and yeah. they're learning how the film industry works right. and how the entertainment industry works, they're still, you know, um, trying to figure out. Uh, and everyone I worked with, I feel like has been fair and it hasn't been like they've been trying to screw us over. But the truth of the matter is, is even if, even if yeah. they were, and even if that was a rule that existed, there's literally no way for us to tell. Yeah. Because it's ones and zeros yeah. and it's it's dots, you and, know. And, and even sorry to interrupt. Yeah. But like okay. even even on a particular project, if everybody's really nice and humane and is not trying to take advantage of you, it just seems to me like the march of technology suggests yeah. that at some point it's just gonna be like, well, we just got We're it. all gonna be yeah. CGI yeah. Grand Moff Tarkin yeah. one of these days. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know that they'll be able to completely automate us because the reason why they did they were doing that mm -hmm. and then they brought in motion capture because the things that humans can bring that, right. that that they wouldn't have thought of, you know. Um that being said, I mean I was watching Zootopia the other day and it's mm. breathtaking it's, the nuance yeah. in the yeah. animation. Um, but I, I do think that uh, the human element, because they're trying to get so much closer to real, right. to real, to real, right. mm -hmm. I don't think that they would want to get rid of the human element just yet mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. Well, my last question was related. I think you, you mentioned the pay disparity between these industries and some of the conditions that are different. So has either of you or have both of you been involved in or affected by the video game voice actor strike, which is still going on in some form? Um, well, luckily, working with um, Sony and Naughty Dog, they're not affected right now. Uh -huh. um, but um, I don't. I feel like you could speak more to this. Obviously, there's been um, talks for almost what do you think, ten years now? Yeah, I Just, mean, it's been going on for, for a while. A I'm actually on the negotiating committee. Oh. Yeah, um, and uh, it's been interesting to dive into it. Um, it, it you know. Doing motion capture, you work side by side with the animators and the producers mm -hmm. and and the developers, and so you really get to see their side of it. And it's it's interesting because I don't feel like we're necessarily across the table 
with enemies, I, I feel like we're collaborators and we're there's just some um, things that we're trying to work out. And, yeah. and the strike has, I think, been hard on everyone. Yeah, it seems like um, it. Yeah, and, and there's definitely been some games that I have worked on in the past that I wasn't able to go back and reprise my role. And I know that's a pr that's affected a lot of people. Thankfully, the games that I have been working on were all cleared. Um, and that and that is the interesting thing is that games take so long to develop yeah. um, that a lot of games were cleared before the the strike even happened. So there thankfully are a lot of people who are still working mm -hmm. and we're still trying to resolve the issue. Um, but yeah, there is there is definitely an interesting pay disparity because we're only in and out, you know, um, mm -hmm. either voiceover or as motion capture. You work on a game a couple months total. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it's, it's, you're in and out and you're just trying to figure out how it goes. So like, you don't necessarily feel that loss of yeah. work immediately, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but also to speak to what you were saying, I, I don't know the exact numbers anymore, but I used to know that like a walk cycle of just a, a human doing a walk cycle saves an animator a certain amount of hours mm -hmm. of animation. A fight sequence that we motion capture can save them weeks of animation. Mm -hmm. And so again, for that reason, I don't think that they'll necessarily mm. phase us out just yet, just because of the efficiency in which, right. just by capturing the movements. Um, and so I'm hoping that also, that value of us also will serve to um, help resolve the strike as well. Well, I'm talking to Maggie McDonald and America Young to stunt people and voice actors for video games and movies. You've seen them in Uncharted, Saints Row, Agents of Mayhem, and on and on and on. Thank you guys so much for talking to us. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate yeah. it. All right, so we will be right back with Kyle Beef Batista, General Manager of Complexity. So tonight on TBS marks the conclusion of a four-part documentary produced by E-League. It's called Road to the International Dota 2 Championships, and it's a series that chronicles two esports teams as they attempt to qualify for TI, and one of those teams is Complexity. And we are talking now to Kyle Beef Batista, who has been just about every role it's possible to be in the esports world. But he is currently the general manager of Complexity, which has teams in Dota 2 and CSGO and Hearthstone and Gwent. So, Kyle Beef, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. So... How did you get involved in the documentary? Because this is uh, interesting to us, kind of the intersections between the esports world and the traditional cable world. Yes. And so it's it's nice to see esports break onto the airwaves. And uh, it's it's been fun to watch your team and kind of the behind the scenes look at the agony and the ecstasy of trying to qualify for, for TI. So how did uh, you guys get approached or, or what were the considerations here as far as doing this or not? Yeah. So we actually have longstanding relationships with a lot of the guys over at E-League who partnered for TBS uh, for this actual presentation. And they reached out to us uh, about a month before we actually commenced shooting. And they said they were talking with us as well as a number of other teams about actually going for this uh, presentation. And we were one of the ones that got selected. They came down and filmed and it was a real good time. Uh -huh. And can you just tell us about your job? What does being the general yeah. manager of, uh, of an esports collective consist of? <laughs> oh, man. General manager, it is just about everything that you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Um, 
it's a new challenge every single day. It might be talking with players and going through contract details, trying to recruit new people. It might be talking with players to resolve interpersonal conflicts within a team. Working with stuff I like. Oh yeah, right. Working with organizers to make sure that you have participations in publicity events such as this one or getting invites to the actual tournaments, working with your other managers and your coaches. So and then you kind of go into the marketing and sales side of things as well. So it really is just about everything through the org passes through me and then up to our owners. Is So general manager, essentially, it's, it's, it's funny because esports is such a Wild West thing right now, um, although Obviously, traditional uh, powers are looking to invest more and more in the sport. But, um, you know, a lot of what you just described as being a general manager reminds me of the things you'd read about, like, say, the Celtics in the 50s. It's just like if you're the road manager for the Celtics, you did everything from get towels for guys to, like, give Bill Russell a like a shoulder massage to, like, run out and go get a, a pack of cigarettes. I mean, is it... <laughs> So general manager essentially at this at this moment in the evolution of the sport is basically just a catch-all, like the guy who will do anything and also manage the team. Um, specifically for our organization, mm-hmm. yes. Other organizations, <laughs> it may be that uh, you know marketing and sales might have their own divisions and artists won't be reporting to me, video editors, all that kind right. of stuff. And they'll just be focused on the competition branch of the business. Everything relating to that, the sub-managers, the coaches, all that reports to them. But for right now, yeah, I'm a catch-all. I do different things every single day. So you've been involved, we should say broadly with esports for a while for for 10 years and plus um i mean what do you think of these cable networks and and the various agencies sports agencies wmg you know various teams now you got like uh you know robert Kraft and um the mets owners getting involved in esports um what do you think it is they see in this space that makes them want to throw money at it? Ah, man, it's just the growth, the evolution, especially in the last five or six years, uh, essentially since the advent of Twitch. It's it's been incredible growth and just year over year, it's not stopping. It's not slowing down. The games are becoming more specialized. And with that, the viewership is continuing to increase. And there's such dedicated eyeballs and they're a coveted demographic and so everybody's starting to see the dollar signs nobody's really making those dollars right now like across the entire industry but everybody's right. looking at it That's and saying thing, right yeah. eventually we're going to make those that money and i'm going to yeah, be one of the guys there. making right. the most money immediately um so it's really incredible and it's been able to spawn this entire industry given so many people the opportunity to chase a dream and can you give us some sense of the economics of an esports team? Like, you guys did not qualify for, for TI. Sorry to, to spoil the series for, for those of you who haven't seen it. It happens in the second episode, and it's this very poignant, heartbreaking moment, and tensions are high. It, it's good drama for the documentary, but devastating for you guys. So how big a part of the functioning of complexity, let's say, is prize money and how much is endorsements and streaming and all the other ways that a team can make money. Sure, absolutely. So you hit the majority of the revenue streams right there. The one that most people would add are appearance fees um, as well as merchandising, both of those being on the smaller side right now. For most teams, um, revenue from sponsorships and endorsements combined with streaming revenue is going to 
be about 90%, maybe 80 to 90% of their total revenue. Prize money is actually relatively low for most teams. Um, CSGO has started shifting back toward it being somewhat favored to the organizations, whereas previously the organizations were only taking like a 5 to 15% cut. Those have started going up to even 30 or 40%. But specifically in Dota, where you see those massive prize pools, it is extremely rare for organizations to have more than 10% of a cut. Wow. Um, this is, I mean, something that uh, we've seen in not not so much Dota, but Overwatch and some other sports is um, pros leaving to concentrate on streaming because they just make more money that way. Um, how do you, I mean, is that a pressure that you guys are dealing with right now? And, and how do you try to ameliorate that? Uh, it's always something that, everybody's looking at, but it's not necessarily a bad problem to have. Uh, organizations are able to mm -hmm. monetize the streamers under their banner. You'll notice that in addition to our pro teams, we have almost 20 streamers that work with us as well. Those guys provide the level of exposure to our sponsors on a more consistent level, whereas you have the volatility of competition, the feast or famine nature, whereas the streamers, they're always going to be there supplementing. So in the event that a star player does drop down right. to just being a streamer or just transition sideways, I guess it's not a step down. Um, you're always able to create a, a very mutually beneficial relationship for both of them there as well. And uh, it's really kind of a push and pull. Everybody needs streaming because in a lot of these games, streaming is how you, you make this viable. Mm -hmm. So in the series, when complexity has this tough loss, there's some acrimony that crops up and, and tempers are high and, and people are yelling at each other. And there's a, a note in the show that a couple of the players left the team or, or were replaced thereafter. Do you play a, a direct role in recruiting and, and kind of smoothing over those interpersonal issues and, and deciding? I mean, there's so much turnover in esports that I wonder whether that's you, whether that's more the coach or, or the players who are currently on the roster. How do you decide who is going to be on a team? And, and if you do need to replace someone, how do you do that? Sure. Um, it's going to vary a lot from team to team in a game like Dota and to a lesser extent CSGO, um, players have a lot more control. Whereas in games like League of Legends, uh, the players have very little control as opposed to the management, the coaching staff. Um, so in Dota specifically, I'm pretty close with that team. And so I, I do weigh in, but even though we have the opportunity to, you know, say yes or no to anything, it's very rare that we exercise that. We're generally going to go with what the players want to do. And generally speaking, I am there. I'm part of the conversation or even leading the conversation when we do choose to let people go. But especially in our Dota team, we have our uh, captain, Kyle, who's actually going to have been with us for three years in a couple of days here. Um, and he takes the lead in most of those. He's very proud about, you know, in Game of Thrones, they say he who, uh, you know, Sentences a man to death should swing the sword, and that's kind of his take. Passes, yeah, it's close. Something um, like yeah. that, you know. I don't. Oh, <laughs> God dang it! Passes the sentence should swing the sword. Is that it? Yeah. Oh man. Um, You're talking to the yeah, wrong person it's, to it's okay. misquote um, Game of Thrones very slightly. I, yeah. God dang it. Uh, uh, oh, Sunday can't come right, soon right. at all. Yeah, don't, worry, don't worry about it. So, I'm I'm fascinated by you know one of the things I love most about sports is like the interpersonal conflicts. And this is, I think this is something, you know, watching your documentary, obviously, the kind of old school media powers, this is the thing that they're imprinting on esports more than anything. We got to tell a story. We got to tell a narrative. Who are these guys? What are they doing? Do they like each other? Who, what's the inter-team struggle? Um, <coughs> excuse me. And so what, what are the, you know, like in, in basketball, 
uh, a feud would start because maybe a guy's not passing the ball enough. In baseball, you know, just like guys don't get along in the locker room. Um, what what are the things that occur in in esports that cause friction, mostly? Hmm. Okay. Um, most of the time, what I'm going to say is miscommunication. To be honest, right. a lot of these guys are so young, and right. they just don't know they, how to talk to each other. Yeah, and especially if somebody's upset, they they haven't taken the time to learn about their teammates and know this guy specifically needs five minutes after a loss before we talk about anything. Right. Whereas this guy over here needs to be in this certain mood before we approach anything. Otherwise, he's not going to be receptive to it. Or this guy over here needs to say, I need to admit what I did wrong before we can talk to him about what we did wrong as a team and what he did wrong as an individual. Um, so right. it's really a lot of those things that kind of build up and especially if you have an issue that you need to talk about, and it's a very legitimate issue, and this guy is so defensive about it because you didn't approach it the right way for him personally, then you don't get that resolved. And then there's that lingering tension, and it builds up over time. And especially in esports, so many of these teams are living together right, living on top house, of working yeah. together. That can create just huge amounts of tension. And so that's why you see a lot of teams actually transitioning away from the traditional team house model and into uh, individual or duo apartments and then an office uh, that started within League of Legends and is, is expanding. And hopefully we're going to be making that move at some point in the future. Mm -hmm. So the prize pool for TI this year was $24 million. I mean, what... <laughs> it's, a pretty, money. it's a pretty big number. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, what's at stake here compared to, say, the full season and good. other major events? <laughs> I mean, how does TI stack up to those? How crucial is it to do well there? And and how transformative would actually getting a cut of that money be for a typical team? Uh, with a $24 million prize pool, I mean, <laughs> it's a lot of money to be sure <laughs> yeah. 24 million dollars 10 million yeah. plus going to that first place team that's such a tremendous life-changing amount of money uh to really put that into perspective that's that's more money than the entire competitive season for dota 2 dota 2 as a game has more prize money than every other esport out there combined but moving away from just the numbers it's about parlaying that into fame, international fame on the esports scene, local fame. These players are traveling back to their home countries and they are being greeted by hundreds of fans at the airport. Mm -hmm. They become local superstars, celebrities, heroes, whatever you want to call them. It's life-changing amounts of money, but it's life-changing in the ways that that's how you end up getting on talk shows, wow. breaking into the mainstream audience. You're on Conan. For teams like us, we didn't even win the thing. We're on TBS. But even more so in the scene, if you take a look at the website Esports Earnings, mm -hmm. if you look on there at the top 10, number one is Kuroki, captain of the team that just won this thing at $3.3 Number nine on there is GH, also a member of Team Liquid. He played his first professional games a year ago, and now he is number nine in terms of all-time winnings across all games. That gives you a lot of legitimacy just from winning this one event. Yeah. And so since the personality and the branding and the publicity is such a big part of it, how large a role does that play when you're deciding which players to, to pick or to keep? I mean, does it matter if someone is good on camera, is charismatic, is telegenic? Like, how does that compare to just pure skill with the game as far as making a, a potential player attractive? So when we're evaluating a player, we're certainly looking at things like skill. 
We're certainly looking at their brand presence. How does this add to our brand equity? Are they going to be able to help us pick up a sponsor? Are they going to make us look good when they're being interviewed? Those are all important things, but it really is about the goals and motivations of your organization. You have some teams that are set out and they're like, I'm going to be number one in the world at Counter-Strike. I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win five majors. And certainly everybody wants to win. But some teams are going to sit there and say, hey, it, it's more worth it to me to be in the conversation at the top, but be able to make consistent content, be able to bring those sponsors in and be able to drive that revenue in the other areas to bring that sense of stability over just the competition that can kind of wax and wane mm. with success or failure. Um, so for us, we really do judge those intangibles quite a bit. We like to have people that are personable. <laughs> we like to have people that represent our brand well. Um, but more importantly, we like to build long-term relationships with our guys. We like to be able to build teams together and grow together. So the skill at the immediate point isn't as necessary as seeing the raw talent that we can build with. Um, as the sport grows, um, it's kind of inevitable that um, kind of work issues, player issues, contracts, things of that nature are just going to become more and more of an issue. Um, do you see that happening already? Um, so we definitely do see some of those contract issues or, uh, you know, we're not seeing player holdouts really so much yet. Um, but we actually saw a situation actually just uh, a couple days ago now uh, where Wardell from Rogue CSGO just a couple hours before his ESL Pro League match opener, all of a sudden he's telling his teammates or saying publicly, uh, I'm going to go play with Ghost hmm. Gaming. I'm playing with my former team. Right. And I, I can't tell you what the contract situation there is. I don't know who holds the contract. I don't know on whose roster he officially is for that league. So I'm sure that there's something screwy going on in the background. But all I know is that to the public eye, this guy's supposed to be playing on Rogue. He's been announced. Uh, you know, Everybody's thinking he's there. His teammates are thinking that he's there. And then he's gone. So we're certainly seeing things like that. But it kind of speaks to the young nature of the game. Uh, everything is in kind of its infancy. Um, the entire sport needs to kind of catch up in terms of agents and lawyers and business managers, making sure that these players, oftentimes younger players that don't have real world uh, job experience or anything that's going to prepare them for this, making sure that these guys are aware of what they're signing up for, aware that you can't just hop back to your old team if you feel like it. Um, so I'm really hoping that we'll continue developing that over time. Yeah, I was talking with uh, Ted Leonsis, who's the owner of the the Wizards and the Capitals about his recent um, investment in esports. And one of the things he was saying, the value added that he, he would bring was just an experience with um, with work issues, you know, having been through various work stoppages with the NBA. Um, and it really seems like, that you know, these these kind of more established powers, that's the knowledge base they're bringing. It's like, how do you how do you deal with with contract issues? How do you deal with with a with broadcasting a game, with broadcast language, how do you how do you imprint a narrative on a on a sport? Um, are you seeing the like? What are the advantages of some of these like besides the money, the experience that these other powers are bringing in these more established kind of media and and ball and bat sport powers? Um, so I'm actually not really seeing a huge amount of change in these organizations mm. that are bringing in 
guys with traditional sports backgrounds. They have you know lots of power. They're able to to really leverage their connections to make sure these guys are doing stuff. And of course, they've got the capital. They're bringing tons of cash in so that these guys can make big plays. Uh, but the the one spot where I'm really seeing them really utilize that is you have guys like Shaq for NRG that's making uh, TBS promos and is wishing those guys good luck and Rick Fox, those guys. But you also see uh, Magic Johnson, who has a much less active role over at Liquid, wishing his guys congratulations for winning the international. And that's that's really powerful. You can't really buy that. You can't really get that uh, acknowledgement in any other way. But I think there's a lot to be further done in that aspect where you've got these professional sports teams uh, why why aren't you able right. to further leverage that with better synergies why aren't you saying oh these guys are going to have access to the same uh sports medical teams and sports psychologists and trainers as our professional teams why aren't we elevating this even further and saying these guys need all the support staff here just like all these professional teams that are worth millions and billions of dollars. So I'm really hoping that we'll see some organizations start to leverage those synergies a lot better in the future. Um, what do you think, what are the things that need to um, take the sport into a place where um, all that money, all that potential, all that viewership can be leveraged into actual earnings? I mean, obviously the numbers for Dota and for League are immense. Um, you're not talking about people watching all at the same time, so there's like a lot of fragmentation. But but how do you get that money out? How, how, what's going to be the thing that finally unlocks the, the torrent of cash that that all these investors and certainly the people in, involved in esports more directly are, are hoping happens? Uh, so number one thing that I would say for the money to start flowing is going to be time. We still need a lot of time. We've really been in this huge growth phase for about five yeah. years now. Uh, there still needs to be a little bit more time for mainstream to adapt for all of these uh, esports teams to evolve and learn a little bit more. Um, but even more so than that, it's going to require cooperation. We're we're in this stage where there's so many teams. There's probably too many teams. Right. Some of these teams are going to need to fold in the next couple of years here. And everybody's undercutting. Everybody's struggling to survive. They're fighting to survive, saying, I'm not one of those teams that's going to, going to go out of business. I'm going to be one of those guys that's going to be there and reap that money when it does start coming in. But some of these teams that are investor-backed or sports teams-backed, they're getting into year two, year three, and their investors are probably saying, Hey, where's where's the money? You know, the the financial model says that we're supposed to be making money at this point. And we're still just hemorrhaging cash, like we always have been. And so some of those are going to go ahead and get shut down. But the response to that is again, everybody's just undercutting one another. They're driving the value of sponsorships down because everybody's struggling to get the limited amount of sponsorships. They're driving the salaries up because everybody's trying to get the best players. And there's not enough players for all the organizations yep. and teams in the market. Um, so we need a little bit of cooperation there. Things like PEA and WISA have attempted to make things a little bit uh, better for the organizations and for the teams and trying to just improve the general ecosystem. But, you know, they, they've certainly had some setbacks so far. Um the last thing that I would say is developer support. I don't think we need more developer support, and I don't think we need more cash thrown from the developers, that kind of stuff. I, I think that it just needs to be looked at in a little bit different way. 
the developers and the publishers, the people that are throwing these first-party tournaments, they wield so much influence within the space. But I, I don't think that they're necessarily approaching these things in the way that is best for the industry in the long term. They really could be doing things just a little bit differently. If you're just thinking about it a little <laughs> bit differently and thinking about it from a holistic scope and a long-term vision rather than just how can I best promote this game, they can certainly reap the rewards that could be exponentially larger than if they were just focused on the game while supporting this burgeoning industry in a, a way that is going to start to unlock that income. And lastly, I talked to you for an article that we published about esports analytics about a year ago. And I know that for TI5, when the prize pool was a mere $18.4 million, you guys brought in a, a statistical consultant to help out with your preparation because there's a lot of money at stake. So why wouldn't you? And I'm curious about how that part of the game has progressed. Can you talk a little bit about the way that coaching and particularly statistical analysis plays a role both in Dota and in CSGO, any games that complexity covers? Um, so as you mentioned, we previously at TI5, we were employing an analyst, um, much as we do currently in some of our card games, where they're just looking at cards and writing them down and then providing a little bit of data. It's relatively raw data, but providing that to the players or the players and the coaches and then saying, this is what I expect. There might be a few notes on there, but generally relatively raw data. I think we're seeing a transition away from that and more toward the way that it's done a little bit more in professional sports, particularly the NBA and the NFL, utilizing specifically designed programs to cut film so that the film is actually digestible in a very quick and easy way rather than taking the data and just putting it in there in a raw format. And any data that is processed outside of the film is significantly more analyzed and presented notes more so than giant tables, um, trying to eliminate the need for the players to actually go in there and read these tables and then take their own conclusions. The conclusions are made before they actually get to the players these days, going through the analysts into the coaches and then to the players, that kind of stuff. So a lot more technology has kind of come around in the last couple of years in esports, and I expect that's going to continue. At the same time, there's always going to be uh, the place for the pen and paper analyst that is in there just taking down notes, looking for patterns, and being able to provide information that can potentially give a team that winning chance. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you can catch the finale of Road to the International Dota 2 Championships tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern on TBS. You can find Kyle on Twitter at C-O-L underscore beef. You can find beef. Complexity on Twitter at Complexity Live <laughs> and at ComplexityGaming.com. And we really appreciate it. Thank you, Kyle. This is great. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. That will do it for this episode. Jason, get some sleep. Not I'm, too much. I'm just, going right you know, now. solid, solid three. Solid three. I'll need. break it up. One and a half to one and a half. Separated by four. I will be catching the grand finale of Talk the Thrones on Sunday. I'm excited. We've got an hour and 20 minute episode of Thrones oh just delaying God. the start of Talk the Thrones. That's what everyone really wants to see. Just keep it keep it short, HBO. We want to get to the good stuff. Come on. <laughs> All right. You have been listening to Achievement Oriented, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Yeah. Shandy. Beef. Beef. <laughs>